You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, David Scales here. Quick reminder before we get into today's show. This show is listener supported and as a thank you to everyone who contributes, Almond Surfboards has kindly donated a surfboard for us to give away. It's their R-Series soft top, but not just any soft top, a high performance soft top if there ever was one with stringers, quad, futures, fin boxes. The whole thing is recyclable and made in the USA. It's a great addition to any quiver. On September 1st, we will raffle it off to one lucky person who gets plucked from those who have donated to this show in the month of August. So if you want in, you can donate on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate, where I also have photos of that board and links to almondsurfboards.com. Oh, and look who we have as a guest next week. I guess the space race for for these wave pools it's it's going to be it's going to be awesome you know it's it's only going to benefit surfing um, yeah. but I find that after I've been there for a day or whatever going back to the ocean I just get way more excited to surf in the ocean but look it's incredible I, I think that's three-time world champ Mick Fanning he was in LA for 24 hours and I caught up with him to chat about quote retirement basically his post ct life and get his thoughts on some current topics including the wsl shortcomings whether he'd be willing or not to surf a wave pool as a ct event that's all next week wednesday spread the word all right on with today's show and i got this new board like a day and a half ago from stamps i was like hey can you rush a swallow it <laughs> i felt so bad but i'm so stoked it works this little habanero spicy and small <laughs> <laughs> 10.40 remaining on the clock in the final. Conlog with priority from the pier. Bulky section. Huntington Beach is getting behind her. Eshing her way through. That Tim Stamp surfboard looking incredible. Bowling up on the inside and hammers it. And Courtney Conlog gets a major win here at the Vans US Open of surfing. Taking out world number one, Stephanie Gilmore. How it feels to be home for Courtney Conlog. A massive comeback to the form that we're always expecting from her. What an absolute champion. Courtney Conlog at her home beach in front of a home crowd on the comeback trail from injury. Uh, well, we had all her boards set up, and I asked her a couple of weeks before when she picked up her other boards. I'm like, hey, should we do a groveler just in case? You know, Huntington. She's like, no, nah, I'll be okay. I'm just going to ride the boards I'm used to because, you know, they... Yeah, we're Huntington. I'm going to ride the boards I've been riding. I'm like, all right, well, uh, <laughs> I hope there's some waves. So anyways, like the forecast was looking pretty bad and the waves were bad. And she called me kind of in a slight panic saying like nothing's really working like I wanted to. And what should I do with this or that and fins? And I'm like, why don't we just make you what we should have made you a couple weeks ago? So uh, I just put it together and we got it done overnight. And I think we made it Tuesday. Um, I shaped it at about 10.30 in the morning, 11, and, like, I called her at, like, 5 that night, and I'm like, hey, it's ready to sand if you want me to sand it, if you want to come pick it up. And she's like, I have to do a signing downtown, and in the morning I'm going to my this, and I'll have to do that, but I can be there by noon. And I'm like, well, I can sand it now, or we can have my sander do it. And she's like, why don't we just wait and have Hoffman do it? And I'm like, all right, we'll wait, which was good. He's better sander than I am, and the board got to sit overnight. And then gave him the message, and he came in the morning and sanded it, and she picked it up at about 12 or 1, and wrote it the next day in her first heat but her board wasn't cured <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> no it still smelled <laughs> so but you know there's something to be said about a softboard too it's going to be more it's going to have a, a more bend to it and more rubbery feel you're going to get some good foot wells in it and then as it cures up over time it's going to stiffen up and your feet are going to be in it it's going to feel like home like like a good pair of birkenstocks <laughs> i don't know if you want to compare your boards to birkenstocks no, I, it's just, you know you I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't wear Birkenstocks. I'm telling the listeners right now, you wear Birkenstocks, no, and I've seen you in Crocs, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's like a good pair of Crocs. Just a fool, getting back. Just a fool, doing I'm rock out That is surfboard shaper Tim Stamps talking about the board that Courtney Conlog won the U.S. Open on last weekend. Um, The board itself is 
based off of my grinder model, not the X. Um, it just has a little bit pointier nose. And for her, I, it has more of like a pro rocker for, for a grobbler. Because um, most pros ride a fair bit of rocker. So it's like, friend for the waves at Huntington, how they were coming into the shore break. We didn't want it too flat. So it still has a fair amount of curve, less than her normal boards. Um, and it's a little bit wider, had a wider nose and tail. I am on a quest. We hear this term all the time. Groveler? Groveler. 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 Especially in Southern California. But what does it mean? What exactly is a groveler? Who invented it? Who coined the term? I remember the term going way back. I remember using the term in the 90s for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it definitely start. It didn't start with a board like this board's a groveler. It started with the act of groveling. So what is the etymology of that? That's a good question. Like, even if you look up grovel in a dictionary, what does it mean? From Merriam-Webster, the form grovel is an intransitive verb, and the first definition is, quote, to creep with the face to the ground, to crawl, end quote. Definition number two, to lie or creep with the body prostrate in token of subservience or abasement, end quote. For example, groveled at the feet of the king. Definition number three, quote, to give oneself over to what is base or unworthy. Groveling and self-pity is the example there. By the way, that was Britt Merrick who asked the question. We often discuss board design here on the show, and occasionally even etymology. But today's show is fully dedicated to one specific type of surfboard, the groveler. I want to know the history and the design specifics of the groveler. I want to get to the bottom of it. I've enlisted four experts, four shapers who have helped develop the design over the past two decades. Board builders, Britt Merrick of Channel Island Surfboards, Dane Hans of Vulcan, Matt Parker of Album Surfboards, and of course, Tim Stamps of his eponymous Stamps Surfboards. But before we hear from the shapers, I thought I should inquire with the guy who owns more surfboards than anyone else I know, Scott Bass. Yes, yes, that's me, Scott. I'm here, David. I've got a question for you. Okay. Who invented the term the groveler? Who invented the term groveler or the groveler? Groveler for surfboards. Uh, what, is the orig- what is the origin of the groveler? To grovel means to, to ride small waves, right? To like to have fun in small waves. Like So maybe it's like a softboard company, like like Catch Surf or INT or it wouldn't be Catch Surf, right? It would be INT or... When do you first remember hearing the term? The groveler. It could go back to like the 60s or something, like maybe a Velzy model or something. Did Velzy. you did you hear it back then? I mean, what was the earliest memory the gro- of hearing to gro- it? Well, I mean, the, the, the verb to grovel has been around for a while, right? Like Yeah, outside so of surfing. Yeah, and then yeah. a grovel. I, I can't put a specific date on it. It's more like you would say, this board's a really good groveler. You know what I mean? Like Okay. Well, I would suggest to you that a groveler is a board that paddles really good and has a lot of speed uh, for waves that don't provide speed. For mushy surf, for you know, just junk surf, a groveler is a board that's going to provide the speed so that you can get around from section to section and uh, you know, do your turns, do your thing, and enjoy a session in bad waves. And wherever you live, that seems to have applicability. A board designed to let you do your thing in bad waves. Who doesn't need one of those? Here I stand Going through the motions with the mic in my hand Playing hard to get, pretending like I understand Just a fool just a fool, what is a groveler? <laughs> um, there are many things that a groveler is, but I guess first and foremost a groveler is just a board for a little bit lackluster waves with a little bit wider outline and a little bit lower rocker to me a lot of times when you think about a groveler matt parker from album surfboards instantly you think of like uh pumping and wiggling to make it go and i think a groveler is something that carries speed inherently on its own so something that has glide so something that 
you don't feel like you have to work for. So something that's usually lower rocker that just kind of zings through those flat sections. To me, it's basically any board that you would design for San Diego surf. <laughs> this is Dane Hans from Vulcan Surfboards. You know, the one thing about San Diego that I think is really good um, for uh, surfboard designers, shapers, whatever, is that, you know, we don't have the greatest waves. Um, and, you know, in the summer as well as the winter, I think this last winter was probably the worst winter that anybody can remember. Yeah. Um, but it's a really good proving ground because I think that um, your boards have to perform. And if you're a person like me or uh, most of the people that surf my boards, you're not on a long board or a mid-length and you still want a short board, uh, whether that be on a grobbler or a fish or a planing haul. So I feel like the waves around here um, are uh, a really good litmus test because the boards... Is they've got to paddle extremely well in order to catch the damn waves and they've got to be fast down the line um, and so that's a good thing about having a weak wave here is, is that the boards have to perform and they have to be able to generate speed quickly and hold their speed too but uh, what is a grobbler to answer your question there um, to me um, it's a board that I can execute my full repertoire of maneuvers on a small and weak wave. What is the origin of the groveler? Mm. I guess that's probably from my age. I would think I would think it was when I think of that, I think of like eighties surf contest pumping and wiggling to try to fit in a couple turns when the waves are really bad. And so I don't know where that necessarily started, but that's what I kind of think about. I'd say it's been around a long time, but it just wasn't a groveler when it was around a long time ago. Okay. I think it used to be a regular surfboards. I think they have the roots maybe in like the typical, maybe early to mid-80s shortboard, which had that wider plan shape, and obviously it had more volume and had less rocker. But So I think like the main takeaway from that would be probably like the outline, the outline um, similarities. I mean, obviously I think the rocker lines and the contours and all that stuff has changed but I think that could be where it comes from and I remember boards sort of evolving away from like the really chippy boards and the really rockered boards um, to boards that were shorter and wider and with wider tail blocks uh, not necessarily fishes or planing hulls but uh, squash tails right um, that had um, Oh, we're basically more of a wider format board, um, but we're specifically intended for performance surfing on a smaller, weaker wave. Right. The origin of the groveler. This is the voice of Britt Merrick again. That's a great question. No. What is the origin of the groveler? I don't know. I'm trying to suss it out. Like, I, my first, I'm trying to think. I don't remember that word being around in my youth. I remember it being really used around the neckbeard time. You know, when Dane was coming around and he introduced a couple of board designs, the dumpster diver, I remember it being used a lot with. And I'm trying to think, like, was it used prior to that and then it just became fashionable to use the term? What, um, That's a great question. I'll get to the bottom and I'll report back. <laughs> um, what basic design features should all grovelers have? Yeah, uh, pretty simple. Uh, generally, they're going to be, we're, we're talking high-performance boards. I'm talking high-performance boards now. They're going to be shorter, wider, flatter. To me, the most important is, is that glide and speed without work. So something that paddles really well, that feels like it moves through the water efficiently, so that low entry rocker, a little bit more foam under the chest. So uh, I think something that's lightweight, you know, something that feels like it's nimble under your feet in when the way, when the ocean doesn't have much energy to it. Like the first board I shaped, the very first board I shaped would probably be considered a groveler. It was like a 510 stubby tri-fin performance board with kind of 80s foil. And that was in like the year 2000, 2001. Okay. And so that, I guess, yeah. So the first board I ever made was a groveler. <laughs> I would say in general, you have a, a low rocker without anything, you know, without any kicks or flips going on. A 
fuller proportionate outline like you know center width nose tail tail block and I would say not too of extreme contours and you know I remember from the last time we spoke you mentioned something that I thought about quite a lot and that's how culture affected surfboard design and I think that it's had a tremendous impact because I see a lot of um, boards that basically, you know, as we discussed at one point, I, I made a, a statement that surfers are very nostalgic and um, we're always looking to the past. I feel that there's a lot of design theories and principles that are very antiquated that are still carried forward onto small weight boards and they don't work. It's plain and simple. Like, um, I talked about this at one point and I caught a lot of shit for it, but, um, you know, there's, uh, people say, oh, my board has got a lot of volume under the chest area and that helps it paddle. Well, that's bullshit. It doesn't work at all. Hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, it, it prevents the board from penetrating on a weaker wave. You know, when you're paddling for a wave, you want the nose to dip down. So you start sliding down the face of the wave. And that's really important on a small wave board. Well, guess what? If you have all this volume disproportionately on the front end of the board, you're already kind of like in a wheelie position, paddling again. I mean, you've seen kooks in the water that yeah. they haven't really you know, learned how to surf as well as like paddle, which is an art in and of itself. And they're back on the back end of their board and they're corking it, right? And you see them paddling and the board is pushing all this water. Well, you know, they're not going to catch anything. It's the same principle when you're on a small wave board and it's got all this volume on the front end. And it tilts up like this. How the hell are you going to get that to tip down? Yeah. Now you got to scoot way, way up on the front end of the board in order to get that to push down. And it's not efficient. So um, where would you place the volume for somebody who wanted paddle power? It's on the back end of the board. You want the nose to dip down. Like all of uh, my small wave boards, which you know would basically encompass my whole line of boards sure um they're very leaned out on the front end the other thing about that too is that low, uh, you're reducing the material mass on the front end of the board so it reduces the swing weight uh and so they're very snappy uh on the front end and it's a great feeling like wherever your front foot goes the nose is already there but that's um that's an interesting thing because i, I feel like the whole notion of um, you know, the volume under the chest area is, area helping the board paddle. I feel like that's a really old school uh, design feature. Interesting. Uh, and you see like a lot of boards from like, you know, back in, uh, there was a time when everybody looked to Hawaii to see like what was working, you know, like back in the 70s. You see like a lot of boards that are like that and they've got all this like, it's not just volume forward, but outline forward, forward to center. Um, and I think people saw that and it was like, oh my gosh, look, it works. It's incredible. And let's try and apply it to San Diego. And I'm going to paddle out at, yeah, any one of the uh, waves that are here that are really weak and mushy. And it doesn't work. And you're better. You're fighting that board. And I see it a lot. Um, That's really interesting. I had never heard anybody um, counter that argument for volume under the chest. Well, it's, you're right. I mean, logically, as you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. It's a fact. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's it's not even you can question it and argue yeah. it, but let's make two boards and take them out and paddle them. Put all the volume on uh, the front end on one, and you'll see how the damn thing fights you. And it's you don't see it so much on it. it the I think the um, the uh, inefficiency is uh, kind of masked when you apply that to a bigger board that just okay. has a boatload of volume overall. But when you get down to a smaller board, uh, like say five, seven, five, six and under, uh, and you're in San Diego again, where the boards in order to be a good small wave board, they've got to be very efficient in terms of their paddle speed uh, and their ability to generate thrust and speed and maintain it. Um, all these little things become very apparent. The design flaws become very apparent. Uh, and mass on the volume on the front end is, is definitely a design flaw. Fascinating. Um, but I see people look at that and they go, oh, wow, you know, it, you know, that's the way it's, that it used to be done. That's the way it's always been done. That's the way I'm going to do it. And it doesn't work. Now that I'm thinking about it, what I think that person is saying is they're taking, so that um, 
groveler style board, let's say, yeah. comparing it to a regular high-performance short board, mm -hmm. and they're going, oh, this does paddle a lot faster, but it's because it has more volume in general than their high-performance short board. Mm -hmm. It's not the placement of the volume that they're assessing. Yeah. They're just going, oh, this paddle's better than my short board, more my high-performance short board, so that must be that it's under my chest is what matters, but it's not that. It's just that it has more volume, period. Probably. Yeah. Because yeah. if they then took a third example, which is what you're saying, where the volume was pushed back, mm -hmm. then maybe they would see that that was the actual best paddler. Yeah. Interesting. For, for small weight boards, it makes a big difference. Okay. So what basic design features should all grovelers have? Um, okay. So that's one of them. Um, that's uh, in terms of paddling, because I don't care how well the board turns or, uh, you know, bottom turns on the wave or top turns or whatever. It uh, doesn't matter if you're not catching any waves. Yeah. Uh, so that's really important. Two is um, is concave, uh, and you know, for my boards in San Diego, I feature have no displacement features whatsoever on any of my boards. There's no belly, there's no V, there's no anything that would add stability to the board at the expense of speed, uh, and that's exactly what belly and V does. And I see that too on a lot of small weight boards, and. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to call bullshit on that too, but it's it's a displacement feature. And as you're paddling a board, if water is not funneling down the center of a concave, it's being pushed out to the side, the board's sinking, and it gives you stability, but it's at the expense of forward momentum. Right. Um, so I don't put any of those features on my board. Some people might claim that, oh, well, it, it helps me get the board on rail, well, whatever that may be, but... I anticipate that, or I expect that the guy that's surfing my board has at least, you know, a, a certain amount of ability that he's going to get the board on rail no matter what. And he's willing to sacrifice that stability for thrust and speed. Um, but in terms of paddling, too, concave is important. I will never forget one time um, uh, Tom Morey picked up one of my boards and... He was looking at it, and he was real impressed, and he was looking at the concave, and then he looked at the front end, and he said, look, come here, look at this. He's like, this, oh, this is bullshit here. So you got to hollow this out and make this real concave in here. He's like, you want the water to start flowing like immediately. And I was like, oh, wow. And I went back, and it was after a boardroom. I think it was like the next following week or two, and I, I shaved the board, and I really hollowed it out on the front end in terms of adding concave from the nose all the way through. And... It had an immediate and meaningful impact uh, in the way that the board, not only it paddled, but the way that it uh, generated speed. So I felt that was really important. And that's, again, these are principles that I feel are applicable to a good small wave board. I'm not saying that that's going to be, you know, the greatest design combination for all circumstances, because there are plenty of circumstances when you don't want that. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, picking around in um, the attic of uh, the uh, Surf Heritage Museum in San Clemente and I was up there like snooping around and I found uh, one of Andy's pipeline boards and I was so, so stoked and I picked it up and I flipped it over and it had no concave whatsoever. Really? Yeah, and a really chippy 6.0 thruster. Was it at Arakawa? I believe it was. And uh, I was so surprised. Because I thought, oh, well, you know, the performance boards, they all have concave. Well, this one sure as hell didn't. I mean, it was flat. Hmm. Um, but again, it's, come on, it was a pipe. Um, so we don't have those kind of waves. We've got weaker waves, mushy waves, and, yeah. you know, the board's got to work. If it doesn't generate speed, if it doesn't paddle well, if it doesn't maintain its speed, it's bullshit. It doesn't work. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Is there a general outline? Yeah, it's going to be a fuller outline. Uh, general, maybe general is an overstatement, right? Because you could have a groveler that looks basically like a high-performance surfboard. You could have one with a round nose. You could have ones with really sort of elliptical outlines or straighter outlines also work. So I wouldn't say there's a general, but there's got to be a lot of planing surface, right? And is there a height restriction? Well, that in my mind depends upon the ability of the surfer. The reason why I ask is I feel like at a certain point it becomes... You mean for something to be a groveler? Yeah, at some point it becomes like a mid-length or something. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, my opinion is that a groveler has got to be shorter than one standard shortboard. That's an excellent restriction. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if you're 6'5 and 230 and you want to ride a groveler, I guess that one would have to suit you at that size. And so that would, so I would say no. The reason I ask is obviously you get to a certain height and it just becomes a mid-length. Like you could ride a mid-length in the same type of conditions you would ride a groveler in, in theory. Mm -hmm. So what defines the groveler as different, if well, not height? Well, like to me, like a mini Simmons or a fish are not grovel boards because those boards are like a category to themselves and they carry a different flow and speed on their own. And maybe it's just my version of it but the term groveling connotates that you're pumping and driving and trying to go top to bottom and so uh i don't know if length is necessarily key but shape for that specific category to me kind of fits that, that that idea so could you have a seven foot groveler uh if you were big enough to if you were a if you were a big guy yes but I, so i'd say generally no like most of us what's the average American or five, male, 5'9", five, 5'10", yeah. five, so probably it's going to be something that's under six feet Okay, for most, for 95% of the population. So. Uh, I think it just goes by how tall you are. Well, I so, think maybe like for the typical human surfer size, Grovler's probably, what, 5'6 to 6'2", maybe? Okay. Like if you're a large human. If you compared it to the height of the rider, should it be taller, shorter, or equal to? I'd say for like average ability, your height to maybe over it, but like if you're like fit, great surfer, you're going to ride it a few inches shorter than yourself. Got it. Probably two to three. Okay. Yeah. You know, I've seen guys that, um, and I've certainly surfed them too, um, where, you know, they start getting these like ridiculously short boards, um, and you know, like I've seen four foot 11s and five oh five one, and they're really super short. Um, yeah, you can you can surf it, but um, I don't know. I think that's starting to get kind of silly, really. Also becomes a different board at that point. Like it could be categorized as something, you know, like a, maybe a fish or some other genre of board. Right. To, to tell you honestly, I mean, for me, it's five six, five seven. Um, is generally what I surf on my planning holes. I'll go down to like five four, five five, and I've dipped down into you know closer to five foot. And yeah, I can surf it, but I'm also two hundred pounds, and it starts to get sort of kind of silly. How tall are you? Five nine. Okay. 
So, so you ride it a few inches shorter than your height, basically. Mm, yeah. Okay. But like when you start getting too much running length, uh, and especially if it's like on a beach breaky type wave where it's got a lot of curve to it and a lot of pitch, I think that you know having that shorter running length will allow you to like fit in there. I mean, that's basically a pretty known principle. Yeah, um, yeah but much longer than that, and the boards start to get sort of nosy. Uh, and you're you're managing that front end uh, as opposed to like really engaging into your turns, uh, so that can be kind of tricky. What about bottom contours? Is there any requirement for a groveler? No, there. You know, there's multiple ways to get there. What we're doing with bottom contours is we're creating multiple rockers in a board. So in a surfboard, you have the rocker that follows the stringer line, your center line rocker. You also have the rocker that's along the rail of the board, your rail line rocker. And the way that those two intersect is through different kinds of contours. And so for example, when you have a board that has a curve along the rail and you have your rail rocker, you generally want that to have a certain kind of curve because you put the board on rail and you turn. If you want to straighten that rocker in the middle of the board so that the board has more drive and speed down the line, then you have to straighten it by putting concave there or V there. Either one of those, if you think about it physically, is going to straighten that rail line rocker. My dad was the first one who really started doing concaves to straighten the rocker. And it was because the boards were getting really narrow and really thin. And so there's not a lot of drive inherently in the foam mass of that type of board. So my dad had to figure out a way to make those boards faster. So he was straightening the center line rocker, right? So that they have more driving speed, but they have a fair amount of rail rocker. Think about the way the surfing was going back then. So that's really, in our minds, that's what contours do is they allow you to have multiple rockers on a board. It's not just, oh, you had a concave, it's more fast. That's not necessarily true. You right. can make V boards really fast as well. Um, so your question was, do they have to have a certain kind of contour? For, to be a groveler. Yeah, no, you're able to make a great groveler that has V and another great groveler that has a lot of concave. It's really a factor of how those rockers are working together. Got it. Uh, I would think something that generates speed, so it's got to have a little bit of concave to give it some kind of speed and drive, but also something that can go rail to rail quickly, so something that's got a little bit of V through the tail or some uh, spiral V, some double, something to break it up that lets it roll rail to rail okay. easily. Uh, I think it's just softened up varieties of whatever, whatever people, like being a shaper is using that works for them. Like I know I use my typical, say like high performance pro board contours, but just soften them up a little bit, maybe flick a little V off the tail. So what are those contours for you? Um, for me, it's a slight single through the middle, deepest point you know right around between your feet a little double concave around the fin area and either flat or maybe a little v off the tail depending on kind of what wave it's for and what a person likes no concave in the nose um, very subtle okay uh yeah i mean we talked about that a little bit to me it's concave and it's deep concave and it starts at the nose it continues through uh the midsection of the board and into the cluster uh, at that point, um, my boards are basically variations of a triple concave. Um, as I mentioned to you before, um, you know, my boards are, I basically look at it as a, you know, design and uh, a board is broken into thirds. You know, there's entry, there's the planning area, and then there's the control on the back end of the board. Um, and... I like triples. Um, I feel like on my small wave boards, especially on wider tails, um, they give boards uh, a lot of hold. Uh, I feel like the accentuated uh, spine that you see in um, through the cluster, the fin cluster, acts as its own low long keel, and it gives the board um, really good hold and drive on hard turns. My litmus test of forehand roundhouse, and if you can roundhouse it off your forehand and not bust loose or slow down. Um, you can't ask much more from a board than that in terms of like turning ability. Um, and if it'll figure eight and then exit uh, with thrust off the bottom, that's that's a win. Yeah. Uh, bust loose, slide out, whatever. It's bullshit. It doesn't work. Is there an ideal fin setup for a groveler? Okay, is a twin fin a groveler or is a twin fin a twin fin? I would say a fish is a fish. Uh-huh, okay. 
and those are usually twins. Um, but I agree, a fish is a fish. But a groveler could be a twin fin, yeah, and not be a fish. So what about a twin fin that's not a fish? A twin fin that's like more like our twin fin or the MR twin fins. Those aren't fishes, but no. they're twin fins. Yeah. Are they grovelers? They cease to fit a different category, so I think they could be. I guess the question is, would you use those exclusively in mediocre surf? Twin fins? The, the two examples you just named. Well, I do. I ride our twin fin when the surf is crap. Okay. Man, then, then maybe it does yeah, fit the definition. That's my go-to. Our team manager, Nathaniel Curran, we've had such a bad year for surf. I was just surfing with him the other day, and he was riding uh, just a normal shortboard. He's like, dude, I've been riding nothing but my twin fin for months now. I want to get back on my twin fin because it's a great groveler. But I think that's a whole other question, whether or not a twin fin is a groveler. That's a good, that's a good point. I like that you say a fish is not a groveler. That's true. A fish is a fish. Yeah. I think where you're pushing this to is a groveler is kind of, I think the dumpster diver is sort of like, or the neckbeard are sort of quintessential groveler. Shorter, wider, flat rockers, thrusters. I think of some grovelers being quads too. For sure. Yeah. So there's no specific fin setup there it could be variations yeah and i would say if we're talking like mass market i would say probably a lot of those will go toward five fin setups yeah people when they're thinking about a lot of the ones that we make it's a five fin setup okay so you can ride a quad or thruster see i would say general consensus would be like a tri-fin i wouldn't consider it like a twin fin a groveler you want it I wouldn't, even though you ride them in the same kind of waves. If we're talking like really specific board categories, I wouldn't consider a twin fin a groveler. So I would say probably like a thruster would be a groveler to me. Because all the other stuff, like for me, I, I would ride an ASIM in the waves that I would want to ride a groveler, that a groveler would be ideal for, but I don't think I would consider that a groveler. So an asymmetrical board could not be a groveler? There's all these funny definitions about, like, like what's a fish? Like, I think it's kind of funny, like, personally, like, the, the you know. The, trying to define them yeah. is, is funny, or a fish itself is funny? Trying to be, too, like, so, you know, like, so tightly defined on what the categories are. Like, what I, how I view it versus kind of what the, what the market would say or what all the other, you know, if you, if you ask retailers or shop owners what they considered, probably wouldn't fit in the same... Do you define it on your website? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think I have a groveler category on my website. Hmm. I have like a performance category. I have just an alternative category. It's just like alternative boards that are just a different take. And some of those would fall into a groveler. Some of them are just fish. Some of yeah. them are. Is there an ideal fin setup for a groveler? I would say three or four. Okay. Is there an ideal fin setup for a groveler? That's your act. You know, you're asking me that at um, a really interesting time. Can I show you something? Yes, absolutely. Okay, wait one second. I'm gonna set my mic down. Okay? Yeah, so go for do it. Do a mic it. drop here. Okay. So for the listeners, Dane just exited the room and brought back what looks like a fin, but it it's in a sheath. Holy guacamole, dude! So that's uh, FCS two. Uh, that's my trapezoid design with the FCS2 uh, fin system. Wild. Yeah. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal fin. I mean, it's uh, a lot of people see them and they go, wow, it's such a, you know, a really technical space agey looking fin. But it is. It is the most natural, uh, sure footed, very drivey, um, user friendly keel I think I've ever served. And I definitely like keel fins on small wave boards. I'm also a huge advocate of quads. Um, I know a lot of people have said, oh, I don't like quads because I, you know, I can't snap it or I can't do this. And I think they probably had a, an experience with like a really bad fin set uh, because I, yeah. the way that I have my board set, the quad will, you know, express a full range of maneuvers that a thruster will. And it'll paddle better. It'll get there quicker. 
and if the conditions are junky uh, or punchy, um, they're definitely superior to thrusters. Okay. That's for sure. Uh, but anyways, looking at this keel, it's a huge keel. It is. Um, you know, I would say that it, it has uh, definitely in terms of surface area, it's got more surface area than a Rostovich keel. Um, yet it's uh, a lot more user-friendly. Um, the shape for listeners, it almost looks like the Volcom stone. Yeah. Like the Volcom, you know, but a little bit um, asymmetrical. Obviously, yeah. it's not symmetrical. But it's, I can't believe how giant it is. Do you know the dimensions on it? Yeah, yeah. The full running length from tip to tail is about nine inches. Yeah. So it's it's a big fin. And you ride it on a small board. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm a big advocate of surface area, and um, and you'll see that uh, on my keels as well as my quad sets. And right now, um, I'm surfing a. Uh, kind of a hybrid setup so i'm using an fcs split keel fin on the front end of my quad set but on my trailers i'm not using the typical little smaller uh fins that they give you with the fin set i'm using a full-size reactor which is the full-size forward fin that you would normally put in the forward set i'm using that in the trailer and it's just it's incredible. I mean, it's the best quad set I've ever surfed. Uh, and I've had a few people fuss around with it and they basically had the same reaction. So it's starting to like give me the idea that um, there's things that we, there's still things to learn. There's uh, still areas for us to grow. And um, yeah. Can I ask about the shape of the fin? Yes. Yeah. Called it a trapezoid? Yeah. Um, why a trapezoid as opposed to like a what we're used to seeing like a dorsal fin type yeah. shape yeah it's a great question it's um it's uh based off lockheed martin's work with the f-22 and the f-35 uh the trapezoidal wing design collectively known as the most maneuver maneuverable jets in aviation history is it yeah um and so i think you know, there again, there's a popular uh, belief in what a fin should look like. And, you know, it's, it looks like this and we do it this way. But you surf the, the trapezoid and it's just a phenomenal fin. Do you have um, any idea why that is? Or when you looked at that research, do they explain what's happening and why the shape? No, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because when uh, you read about the trapezoidal wing design, um, there was a lot of like, uh, criticism over the design and like what it would do or what it wouldn't do and um, basically all of those things were disproven um, in terms of what makes this fin work I think it's uh, it's very nebulous um, it's hard to define I mean because we're not running scientific studies on this stuff right you, you can't even see the fucking thing right. underneath the water exactly. so how the hell do I know exactly what's going on I have suppositions and theories but um, until you actually could see it performing under the water, I think that's really difficult to ascertain. Um, so I would yeah. also be curious what differences we need to account for hydrodynamically versus for an airplane. Uh -huh. I mean, obviously, I think that there's probably a lot of overlap, but there's certainly got to be some differences too. Yeah, absolutely. But if you think like, you know, the trapezoidal wing is on an airplane is passing through... Uh, air okay which um is significant there's no resistance in compared to right. water but the thing is, is you have to remember that they're traveling at supersonic speeds so then the air pressure becomes greater that it's similar to water at a lower velocity proof is in the pudding seat of the pants you gotta surf it and no and it uh and they just they're completely upright there's no angle to them about a one degree um so you know, it's like uh, if this was perfectly plumb, they sit okay. just about like that. Got it. Any more than that, and they they lose their hold. And that uh, that litmus test of the forehand roundhouse, like it, it's blown right there. Okay. So right about there is your sweet spot. And you said that you're a huge advocate for surface area. Yeah. I've heard people, um, you know, state that surface area equates to drag, and so the more surface area you have. Mm -hmm. the more um, resistance you're creating with the fin. Yeah. So what, what, what are you advocating for exactly with surface area? I like hold. 
Okay. I really like hold. Um, and I also like thrust. And, you know, to define that for the listeners, I mean, it's when you're at the bottom of the wave and when you compress your body and load up and then launch forward and that board's ability to launch off the bottom quickly uh, and, and squirt off and get you right up to the middle part of the wave or back up to the top that's the thrust of the board right i feel like with a larger surface area thin um, i'm able to capture a lot of my own energy and transfer that into forward propulsion okay uh, without the board busting loose but there again on a forehand roundhouse um this i mean uh this took multiple iterations in order to, to get it to pass that test um and without you know, sliding out because there's nothing worse than a, a fan doing that, especially a keel, because they're notorious for doing that. And I want guys to surf the boards. I want them to surf them very aggressively. Um, and that's what this fin will do. And I feel like that's what uh, surface area will allow you to do. Um, so, yeah. Are thrust and drive the same thing? No, I don't think so. Um, if to me drive is more of function of the board maintaining its speed without busting loose as opposed to generating speed and getting there quickly got it um what is unique what is the unique goal for the groveler or what role should it play in the quiver the whole goal is to make waves that wouldn't be very fun fun that's the whole goal perfect the goal is to motivate you to go out and surf when you normally want to be amped to do it. But all of a sudden you have this board that like lets you go fast and rip, right? That's the whole goal. The flyer, the original flyer might be like a great example of an early groveler. The way that the flyer came about, when the flyer happened, my dad was developing it in like 97. Look at the boards from 97. They are super long and narrow. Tons of entry rocker, not that much exit rocker, but, but long and narrow predominantly. For example, Kelly would be riding a 6'1", 17, and 5'8". Like, those are ridiculous yeah. dimensions, right? Yeah. Shane Besham was riding 6'2", 18. Like, crazy. But some of those guys suddenly realized, like, gosh, I'm not able to do what I want to do in small waves. It wasn't necessarily Kelly and Shane, but other surfers. And that's when my dad developed the flyer. And he did it by making it shorter, wider, and a more robust outline all the way around and accentuated concaves, which was essentially straighter rocker lines down the middle of the board. And that really changed the direction of shortboards. Mm -hmm. They stopped going long and narrow and they started backing up. What's crazy to me yeah. is we relaunched the OG flyer this year unchanged and it looks totally contemporary. Wow. It's got contemporary curves, the width dimensionally, all that stuff. And that was 1997. But that, at the time, was a huge departure. Yeah. And it really did what a groveler is supposed to do. Taylor Knox was recently talking about the OG Flyer. And he said, I felt like I was born again when I got the thing because I never, ever thought I'd be able to surf small waves like that. Mm. And then your dad made me an OG Flyer, and I couldn't believe that I was able to surf small waves like that. That's what a groveler is supposed to do. Wow. I think it lets you shred when the waves are bad that's the that's the real goal like you want to go rip but the waves just aren't doing it but it lets you feel like you're ripping <laughs> i think the goal of the groveler is to make small little mushy gutless waves feel like good waves and it doesn't impede your surfing like you're still surfing as high performance as you like and they also make regular waves and all-around waves feel like that more to the everyday average guy if the waves are good, what would the deficit be that you experience on the groveler? Uh, if the waves are good, um, you're probably, I mean, you're gonna have a lower rocker and a wider outline, so you're gonna carry more speed, and you have more surface area, so the board's not gonna go up on rail as easy, so you're, it's probably gonna be harder to control. It's gonna go faster, it might like outrun the pocket or not turn up and down the face as sharp as you would like. Yeah, in terms of, okay, um, what role it should play in the quiver. It should keep you out there and busy on the days that you would normally say, fuck it, I'm just going to go to work. 
or I'm going to go to school or whatever. I'm going to do something else other than surf. It's the board that is going to keep you stoked and get you out there moving forward and, and, and having fun. Between swells, uh, I want a, a groveler, a small wave board that is going to keep me active on days that might, might ordinarily just pass on. Uh, I'll be able to still uh, practice my repertoire of tricks and turns. Uh, so when the waves do pick up, uh, I'm in tune. Yeah. And everything is um, that much easier. Plus, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to miss those days. I feel that, I think Kelly Slater said it one time, he said that the worst conditions make the best surfers. So, you know. Coming from Florida, you have Kerry's weight. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Tell me about your favorite groveler. I've had so many good ones over the years. I'm kind of a frother on grovelers because I'm a big guy, right? I'm 6'6", six, six, so almost all waves are groveling to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like unless, unless it's like six foot Rincon and perfect, it's groveling. I've had so many grovelers through the year. I had um, the second OG flyer that was ever made from, from the machine cut my dad made for me. That was obviously a favorite back then. Um, I developed a board back when I was managing the team for Channel Islands. I was shaping, but I was also doing the team. And so I was going to all the amateur surf contests in California, and I would surf in them just because I was there, just to be with the team and stuff. But I was in the men's division surfing against a bunch of like 18-year-olds that weighed like 130 pounds. And I was 130 pounds when I was like four years old. <laughs> so I developed this board called the Sashimi. And it just had a wide tail with a wing and a swallow tail and a super flat rocker. I remember I just cut like a foot and a half off the end of a blank, off the back end of it to create the board. And for me, it was like, okay, I have to surf against 18 year olds in one foot waves. Like I need a board that levels the playing field. And that was a huge board for us, the Sashimi. I loved that one for years. Um, we just made several hundred of them for Japan. They're still ordering, it's like 20 years later. Wow. Um, lately, I love the sampler. The sampler is a good groveler. It, it's like, doesn't, um, you don't have to sacrifice turning performance. Like you can turn it how you want to turn it, but get speed on waves where there's not speed. So if we're talking about the definitions of that, it would probably be the insanity, a model I've been riding a little bit the last, I don't know, six months or something. But because it, it kind of has like an 80s beak nose. Okay. A little bit it's got a little extra foam under the chest it's a little low entry rocker it's like it paddles really well and it's speed right off the get-go so first pump you're kind of like up to speed and so it feels real free and easy and you can just like whip it around all over the place what size do you ride I ride like a 510 okay so I ride like a 6-1 shortboard so 510 yeah I would say like my my favorite groveler as a surfboard design that I make would have to be my Grinder X model. It uh, seems to be well received from average people, the top pros, and I ride it a lot as like a regular surfboard, you know? Um, and it just goes, it just seems to work well in a lot of conditions. I mean, if you look at it in, in relation to like, say a standard shortboard, whatever that is these days, um, you know, it's wider in the middle, it has a fuller nose, fuller tail, it's got a little hip squash in it to, to break it up and loosen it up off the tail. Um, just a moderate rocker from nose to tail and subtle contours and it's just happy and neutral cool. fast and loose uh, my favorite uh, I would say my favorite shortboard groveler uh, is the tomahawk and it's um, it's a shortboard outline uh, with the wide point rear of center uh, it's got a wide block with I guess you would call it like a real wide thumb tail uh, and the nose is real pulled in. So my tail at 12 is 15 and 5 eighths, 15, 11 and 16 and then 12 off the nose. It's right at 12 inches in width. So it looks uh, real pointy on the front end and then wider in the back. It's a uh, deep concave nose to tail and then a flat exit. Oh, there's one really important thing to talk about too. Earlier, and I, I can't believe I overlooked this, but you asked me what would, um, what would what do I think is essential for a good for a good groveler, um, and weight is I feel a huge issue, um, and I'll tell you why. 
um, a really ultra lightweight board. Um, a lot of people will look at it, they'll immediately say, oh, well, you know, they're, I've ridden that really ultra lightweight EPS and it was so sketchy and, you know, it was really dancey and, and I didn't like it because it was, I couldn't sink the rail or, or whatever. But I'm here to tell you that a really lightweight board uh, in terms of its paddle speed, which is incredibly important, incredibly important for a small weight board, because uh, if you're not catching them, you're not surfing. Um, but having a lightweight board, uh, they just paddle like the wind. Um, and um, a good analogy that I like to explain to people is like, say for instance, you have two small little fishing boats uh, and they both have uh, the same outboard motor and one is loaded with fish, okay? And the other one is empty. Which one do you think is gonna accelerate out of the, out of the gate faster and with more thrust than the other? The one without the fish. It's obvious. Yeah. Um, and when you get down to your board, that weight uh, can have a huge bearing in terms of your paddle thrust. Um, and I know that it's definitely helped me because like, I'm not light and my boards are small. And I found a way to get all these little factors in my favor that I can get the wave count. And I, had many times people say like I can't believe you caught that wave and it's not all me I mean a lot of it is, right. is up to the board and, and the way that it's designed not in terms of uh, I mean in terms of its 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 shape as well as its construction um, so I think that that's hugely important and it cannot be overlooked It's important to note that surfboard designs are a confluence of features. While there are objective hydrodynamic principles at play, surfboards are multidimensional, foiled structures. And none of those design features, be it outline, rocker, bottom contour, none of them exist in isolation. And further, they all play with one another differently when any one of the variables is changed. Oh, and I know you're dying to hear what Scott Bass's favorite groveler is. Can you think of your favorite groveler that you've ever had? Was there one board that you always relied on for those types of conditions? And yeah, me. but I wouldn't call it a groveler. It's funny you say that, but I, I wouldn't. I feel bad calling this board a groveler. Not mm. that there's anything wrong with that, but this board was is worthy of. Like this was a board that I rode all the times in a lot of conditions, but it just happened to work good when the waves were bad as well as when the waves are good. Tell me about the board. It was a Mike Hinson fish that I got from Sean Madison that I rode like exclusively for probably six years. I wow, rode, it was the only board that I I really rode unless the waves were pumping or something. What size? Five eleven. 5'11 fish, down rail, Mike Hinson, custom shaped, Hinson fish. It was a Twinser, actually. Mm. I still have it. Um, what would you ride a regular shortboard? What height would you ride the regular shortboard? A regular shortboard, like in general, six foot, six one? Yeah, like a performance trifin, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, for me, probably six two or six three. Okay. Because yeah. that's another theme that I've seen emerge with the Groveler conversation is it's always a couple inches shorter than your high-performance shortboard would be in general? Yeah, maybe. Wouldn't it be longer? No. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Groveler talk. (laughs) Okay. So in the end, it seems that the specific design features fit within a set of parameters, but a groveler is best defined by the style of surfing and the style of waves you would ride it in. A groveler includes whatever designs you can employ to do high-performance surfing in small, mushy waves. Major thank you to Britt Merrick of Channel Island Surfboards, Matt Parker of Album Surfboards, Tim Stamps of Stamp Surfboards, and Dane Hance of Vulcan Surfboards. I have links to all of their info, images of their boards, and footage of people surfing on them at surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then do me a favor. I want to produce more content like this, stuff that takes multiple days to record and a few days to edit. The larger network of support that we have, the more I'll be able to produce stuff like this. So think of somebody who you know who would like this show and then share it with them. 
if everybody shared it with just one person, we would double listenership. And I'll keep banging out the content. And specifically, if you like this board design stuff, I have a series of episodes dedicated to board design and co-hosted by Dave Parmenter. So look forward to that series being released in October. Plenty to come before then. Mick Fanning next week, Britt Merrick's full interview the week after. So until then, get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on. Yeah, we call them grovelers. But I don't know who invented the term groveler. Someone who was just groveling to the beach. Right. <laughs> it's probably like at a, at a at a little contest somewhere, and they're like, that guy's just groveling. And all of a sudden, it probably stuck because his board was probably wider and fatter, and he was making it all the way to the shore. <laughs> who is that guy? Is we that need guy? to find out. I really want to pin this on somebody. Like, who invented the term? It's To me, the name groveler, it sounds pretty American, so I'll say some on American shores. And it had to be at a crappy beach break. Yeah, so, so it's here. Because if it was Australian, it'd have a way cooler name, you know? Yeah, it's true. Or if it was in Europe, it'd be French or something. Right. So, like, Gravelier is just pretty pretty mundane Gravi- in Southern California. The Gravier, yeah. right? That's actually a spot. Yeah, that'd be a pintail, like, barrel riding board. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um,